Hello, lovelies. I'm Valeria, and this is Have Murder, Will Travel. Hey, guys. I don't know if you can tell, but I got some new equipment to record. So hopefully, hopefully the audio sounds a little bit better. I hope you can can tell a difference, because... It wasn't the best. We we were super low budge, and it was kind of, nah. Let's just say we're moving up, okay? Hopefully you can tell. I'm excited. Hopefully you're excited too. And also, I hope you enjoyed last week's little trek through history to the Ottoman Empire. I hope you did, because I think I might do some more of those historical countries that no longer exist. Because I enjoyed it. I had some fun. It was lots of research and just learning about different places and I don't think we might do some more. But last week I promised you guys that we would do something more modern and I always keep my promises to my lovelies. So this week we're going to Canada and we're doing a case from this century. So super modern, especially compared to last week's. And then I have another exciting announcement for you guys. This is going to be our first two-parter. Whoop, whoop. That's right. This case is just so interesting, and I found so much info on it. We're going to need two episodes to cover it all. And honestly, there's so much. I could probably do three or four parts if I tried. I read two books. I watched some videos, read articles. I just got all kinds of stuff. Not going to be able to dive into everything I want to with only two episodes. But I'm going to give you guys recommendations, tell you what books to go read. And besides these two episodes, you're going to get a lot of info. Don't worry. So, what case are we doing? Let's dive in. Like I said, we are going to Canada. You know, my upstairs neighbor. I'm just kidding. Nobody in America refers to Canada like that. Canada would probably be like, oh no, we're above a meth lab. So we're going to Canada and we are going to talk about Mark Twitchell aka the Dexter Killer. This tiny dick-having shit stain murdered a man and attempted to murder another one. But we're not going to talk too much about him this week. We'll talk about fuckface next week. This week, week, wow, I can't even say the word week. This week, there, that was better. I really want to focus on the victims and their lives before they encountered Tiny Dick. The victims we are going to talk about are Gills Titro and Johnny Altinger. Our story is going to take place in Edmonton, Canada. If you're not sure, Edmonton is in Alberta, which is Western Canada. I've never been to Edmonton. I'm sure it's very nice, but Edmonton does have a rather unfortunate nickname, Deadmonton, because the city kind of has more than its fair share of murders. So that's, that's unfortunate. And again, I've not been there. It may be very nice. Our crimes are going to take place in 2008, but we are going to start our tale in 2002. In 2002, a man named Gils Tetro was introduced to his future wife, Pamela. Aww. Just a year later, Gils and Pamela bought a hair salon together in Regina, Saskatchewan. Pamela was a hairstylist, And Gills did the accounting, marketing, web design. Basically, he was behind the scenes 
she was the face of it, and their business became quite prosperous. So get it, guys. Good for you. In 2005, sorry, I just lost my spot. In 2005, they moved to Kelowna, British Columbia, which is like whole other providence that's like moving state to state here in America. Um, so they moved to Kelowna. Maybe I'm saying that right. I hope so. British Columbia. And they moved there to run a stucco company. I did look up stucco and it's like covering for walls or something. I didn't look that hard into it. It's not that important. But the point is, it's very much not a hair salon. The owner of this stucco company lived in Regina, which is where they were, but this owner wanted managers on site. I didn't see anything about why they decided to leave Regina and their super prosperous hair salon, but they did. So they moved to Kelowna to run this stucco company. Everyone figured they're great at running this hair salon. Their skills will for sure transfer from business to business. Unfortunately, business skills don't really transfer like that. You kind of got to know the industry. And I say that as somebody with an MBA. So they really didn't know how to run a stucco business. And unfortunately, the business went under in a matter of months. So now poor Gills and Pamela are unemployed, living in an unfamiliar city, very far away from the city they left. There's like a whole other province between the two cities. So it's not like, oh, we're just 20 minutes away. They were basically alone. So Pamela quickly got three jobs. That That's about two too many, if you ask me. I mean, honestly, I get people having two jobs. You hear about that a lot, but three. Girl, when did you sleep? Um, so Gills, he had a diploma in computer information systems, but he was struggling to find work. So it's just her working her three jobs. Now, Gills did finally find a job in computers, but unfortunately, the money wasn't that great. So he ended up getting a second job as well. He was working part-time security at a casino. So this poor couple went from killing it in life with their prosperous-ass hair, hair salon to kind of being beat down. You know, they're just hustling to make things work. She's working three jobs. He's working two jobs. So naturally, they're not seeing too much of each other. They're always at work. So the marriage kind of started not going so great. I've personally never been married, but I feel like seeing your spouse is, is part of what makes marriage work, you know? Maybe I'm wrong. So they're growing apart, and then Pamela actually took a job in Edmonton on a whim. Just was like, cool, sounds good. So Gills, being a good husband, sold the house, took care of business, and then he followed her to Edmonton. They did end up getting a divorce, though. So now, poor Gills is in another unfamiliar city, and he's single, licking his wounds, just trying to sort of, you know, heal. You got that post-breakup phase where you're just like, oh, I hate life. If you're a girl, you're like, I should get a haircut. Don't get a haircut during that phase. Um, now, Gills did write a book that I read, so spoiler alert, he's not dead. And he said in his book that the divorce caught him completely by surprise, I guess it was Pamela, that initiated it and so he had a couple of trust some trust issues because you know feel like if you don't see it coming and the person you think you're going to be with forever is suddenly like yeah bye you'd have some trust issues too 
So he's got some trust issues. But even so, Gills wanted love. He was like, I'm looking for something. So he decided to put himself back out there. In 2008, he was 33, hadn't been in the dating pool in six years. So, of course, he's he's got no idea where to start. I wouldn't either. That's why I don't date. People suck. And also, what do you do? Go to parties and, like, talk to them? No, thank you. Gills was also feeling like he was too old to start over, which, like, 33 is not old. If it is, I'm I'm almost old and no thank you. So, Gills was like, I don't know, I'm old, I've not done this, what do I do? He went to some bars and clubs and a couple parties, but he was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not feeling this, this sucks. Which, yeah, meeting people sucks. <laughs> so, he decided to try online dating, which today, of course, I feel like that's how most people meet. Everyone I know is like, on Tinder and Bumble and who the fuck knows other ones. But this is 2008. Online dating was not as socially acceptable as it is now. It was kind of, people were a little embarrassed by it or thought you were weird if you were like, yeah, I met her online. It's like, oh, when are you a weirdo? But Gil said he was lonely, willing to try anything, which like, I just want to give him a hug. That's sad. So, one of the things that appealed to him about online dating was safety, which is really kind of sad and ironic once we hear what happened to him. So, he's lonely. He tries a couple of online dating websites. No luck, not really finding anything. And then he finds this website called Plenty of Fish. I think the website's still around. I didn't Google it and look because I, I don't want my internet popping up dating website apps for me all the time. But Plenty of Fish is an online dating website, and Gills liked this one because it was free. A lot of them cost money. And Gills said he saw a lot of attractive women on there that, like him, were looking for a long-term relationship. So Gills wasn't on there just looking for a hookup or anything like that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just not what he was looking for. So yeah, he's been unlucky in love, but he doesn't care. He's not looking for a fuck buddy or anything like that. He's looking for a long-term, maybe get married again type situation. So he makes a Plenty of Fish profile. His profile name was Dr. X, like from the X-Men. So, you know, kind of nerdy, but I think it's kind of cute. So late September 2008, Gills met this attractive blonde woman on Plenty of Fish. Her username was Spiderwebs with two Z's at the end of webs. Mm, very, very sexy. Once they started talking, he found out her actual name was Sheena. A uh, little spoiler alert for you guys. There is no Sheena. She's fucking fake. So Gil starts talking to this Sheena woman. Sheena had moved from British Columbia around the same time as Gil's. And they talked, they had a lot in common, and they decided they wanted to meet in person. So they decided to meet on Friday, October 3rd. At this point, knowing what is going to happen, I just want to be like, don't go on that date. But of course he goes. They agreed they were going to go to dinner and a movie. She chose Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist as the movie. And I just thought it was funny in his book. He said he assumed that was a chick flick because he'd never heard of it, which, uh, like I said, has nothing to do with the case I just thought it was kind of funny. I mean, this may have been 2008, but guys are still the same, right? You mention a movie 
And if it's not full of superheroes or topless chicks, they're like, huh, must be a chick flick. I mean, to be fair, I, I think that may be a chick flick. I don't know. I've never seen it. So the plan was for Gills to pick her up after work. He is going to pick her up at her house around 7. I'm going to give everyone a tip right here and now. Don't ever pick someone up for a first date. And don't ever let someone pick you up for a first date. Always meet in a public place. I am not victim blaming with these two guys. I'm just saying be careful, be safe, and not even, none of them might be a serial killer, but some people are just creepy or weird or you end up not liking them. You don't want them to know where you live. No, thank you. So anyway, he's going to pick her up on Friday. So naturally, he needs to know where he's going to pick her up. And this is when things start to get a little weird. Sheena wouldn't give him her address but she did give him detailed directions to get to her place, which like I get not wanting someone on the internet to know where you live, but you're giving them directions to your house. They're going to know where you live. It just doesn't make any sense to me. If you were that concerned, you wouldn't have him picking you up at your place. Now, even weirder were the directions she gave him. Sheena said she lived in a basement apartment. There was a no parking zone in front of the house and a bus stop across the street. So she said Gills would need to park in the alley and come across the backyard. Her door was on the back of the house. She said the landlord had padlocked the fence in the back, so he would have to cut through the detached garage. She said she would leave the garage slightly open. Again, she's giving him all the specifics, but won't give him a street name or address. This is just very weird to me. She asked where he was coming from, and then she sent him some directions. I'm going to read you the directions that Sheena sent to Gills. Okay, you ready? These are weird. So, okay, Friday. If you're coming from the north on Grote, get on Calgary Trail, and when you get to the south side and jump on White Mud, then go south on 50th Street. Take a ride on 40th Avenue, and after a block or two, take the very first right into the alley. It's marked by a yellow crosswalk sign, so pay attention. Then go left and pull into the only driveway that looks like the Amazon, Whatever. It won't swallow your car, I promise. There's some garbage up against the fence, like an old couch and stuff, but it might be gone by Friday. Who knows? Like I said, the garage will be open for you a touch. Don't worry about neighbors thinking you're a burglar. Everyone knows there's nothing valuable in here, except, of course, my car. See you then, Sheena. These are just very odd directions. Turn at the alley by the crosswalk sign. That's very specific, Sheena. Thank you. Gills asked her for an address, and she she said no. He was like, can I at least have a phone number in case I get lost? I mean, that seems reasonable. And again, she said no, and she cited safety reasons. And again, I say, if she was really concerned about safety, she wouldn't be giving him directions to her house. Just, just point, throwing that out there. And Gills actually got a little sassy about it, too, which I love. He messaged her on Plenty of Fish and said, if I don't show up, it's because I couldn't find your place, (laughs) which I love. I'd be the same way. Like, if I can't find it, I'll blame your shit-ass direction. Should have given me a road name. Damn. Now, in case you haven't figured it out yet, our perpetrator, cough, cough, Mark Twitchell, is planning something far more sinister than a date. Now, I'm going to read you an excerpt from a document called SK Confessions. We're going to get into this document 
in part two, but this document is written by shitstain Mark Twitchell, and it's basically a diary of the crimes. Super fun. So this is what he wrote in SK Confessions before this Friday night date. The trap was set, and now it was time to bait the hook. My kill room was perfectly prepped, plastic sheeting taped together and around my table, a large green cloth screwed into the drywall ceiling to shield me too, of course. I now stood but a few feet away from the door, which I had locked, of course. The plan was to wait in the shadow of my curtain until he approached the door and shock him with the stun baton, followed by a sleeper hold that would snap his consciousness so that I could tape him up and set him on my table. This is the moment where we should all be very, very scared for Gills. Again, I just want to scream at him and go, no, 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 do not go on this date. But Gills doesn't know this is a trap, obviously. In fact, he's excited about this date. He even wrote that to her on Plenty of Fish, that how excited he was. And I mean, you should be excited for a first date. It's an exciting time. Now, Gills copied the directions that Sheena had given him and her pictures. He copied them into a word tuck and printed the directions off, which is just the most 2000 things that 2000s thing I've ever heard. I just imagine him printing like MapQuest or something. Do you guys remember MapQuest? I don't know if that's still a thing, but so yeah, he's excited. He's got his directions. Now, even though he was excited, he didn't tell anyone about his date. He wasn't really close to any of his co-workers. And that day, they even invited him out after work. Like, hey, you want to get some drinks? And he said he couldn't because he had plans. But he didn't elaborate on what the plans were. Like, he didn't say, I have a date. Didn't tell anybody. Little have murder will travel life tip. Let people know where you're going. It doesn't have to be your coworkers, but tell someone. That way, if something happens to you, the cops know where to start looking. Especially in this situation, meeting someone for the first time, tell at least one person where you're going. I was once going to a guy's apartment who I had known for a while, and I still texted his address to three of my friends before I went. Because just because he seemed normal in public didn't mean he wasn't a serial killer. Again, I am not victim-blaming at all. I just want everyone to be safe in the future, okay? So, Gills doesn't tell anybody where he's going, what he's doing, and his big worry that day was arriving on time. Because remember, he's supposed to pick Sheena up at 7, but he didn't get off work until 6, and then he still had to go home and change and, you know, get spiffed up for his date. Little tip, if that's just you, just take your clothes to work and change there instead of going home. Like, I think that would be quicker, that's what I would do, but... You know, I'm not Gills, I don't get it. So after work, Gills gets home, gets all spiffed up. He puts on a nice little outfit. He even puts some gel in his hair, you know, very 2008. Just, you know, feeling himself. And on the way out the door, he was like, hmm, better put on a jacket. It wasn't cold, but he thought it might be chilly later after dinner and a movie. Putting on this jacket may be the reason Gills Tetro is still alive. Stick around, you'll see. So Gills drives like a madman across town. You know, he wants to get there. He and he doesn't have a number to call her to tell her he'll be late. She wouldn't give him his phone, her phone number. So he's like, fuck, I just got to get there. He pulls up. It's already about 7.15. So of course, he's worried he's making a bad first impression. You don't be late on a first date. Like, that's terrible. But 
He found the garage, doors open, just like Sheena said. So he parks and he goes rushing in, like headed across the garage to the man door. He's like, got to get there, got to get there. He later admitted that he didn't notice too much about the garage. He was only thinking about the fact that he was running late. He had tunnel vision for that door. He was headed to it. So his hand is on the doorknob for the people door when someone grabs him from behind. Now, at first, he thought it was Sheena playing a joke, but then he saw something glowing blue in the dark. It looked like a cattle prod, and whatever it was, the electric end was pushed into his chest over and over again. Now, at this point, Gills, of course, has no idea the fuck is going on, but clearly this is not Sheena. He looks up, and he sees a tall man holding the weapon that looked like a cattle prod. It's a stun gun, by the way. Now, he couldn't see the man's face because this attacker was wearing a hockey mask. The mask was painted black and gold, or black with gold stripes, I mean, and the mouth was cut out. Like, the jaw and the mouth, the whole bottom of the mask is cut out. I'm gonna post a picture of this mask. It's fucking scary. Like, just looking at it as an evidence photo is kind of scary. Then you imagine it, seeing it, staring down at you in a dark garage, and it it's horrifying. Like, it's some scary movie shit that you would see. You'd be sitting in the cinema and the killer would be dressed like that, and you'd be like, oh, sure, that's how killers dress. Apparently it is. I'm just telling you, it's pure nightmare fuel. If I had looked up and seen that, I, I probably would have shit my pants right then and there. Just dropped to the ground, shit my pants. But not our boy Gills. Mm-mm. Gills is a badass motherfucking survivor. Gills fought back. He said the stun gun didn't hurt. It just felt like a bug zapper. I've never been shocked by a stun gun, but I feel like it would hurt more than a bug zapper. So, I mean, all right, Gills. Gills even grabbed the electrified end of the stun gun with his bare ass hand. Like, go, Gills, go. That's like grabbing a knife blade with your bare hand. Mm -mm. So he's trying to get this stun gun away and not going down. So finally, this the attacker, like, takes the stun gun, sticks it in the holster. So Gills, like, great. And he takes off for the garage, still open garage door. Well, this masked man steps in front of Gills holding a gun. And he tells Gills, to get on the ground. Well, of course, Gills does, because if anyone's ever waving a gun at you, just do what they fucking say, okay? It, nothing is worth getting shot over. So Gills gets on the ground, and his attacker keeps telling him to keep his head down, but Gills is bad at following directions. So he kept looking up, and he told his attacker, you know, I'll give you whatever you want, take my wallet, my keys, whatever. And the attacker basically was like, you know, shut the fuck up and this will just be a robbery. Then he put duct tape over his eyes. Can you imagine that? Duct tape on your eyes. The sensory deprivation aspect alone is scary, but duct tape? Not even a blindfold, but duct tape. This is what Gil said about lying on that garage floor, okay? He said, quote, lying on the garage, tape over my eyes, it's difficult to explain what happened next. Although I had always been a skeptic about these kinds of things, I couldn't deny it was happening. 
Time slowed down and my entire life was replayed in flash images. The visualizations were very quick pictures of my family without sound. Everything went completely silent while I saw my life flash before my eyes. I saw everything in slow motion. Events I hadn't thought of in years dominated my consciousness. Images played for me, showing me myself throughout the years. I saw my brother Roger and his family lying face down, my eyes covered, my arms behind my back. I saw my mother and father and my birthplace of Gavelberg, Saskatchewan. I had flashes of myself going to French immersion classes, and I saw myself speaking French with my parents. Wow. It's almost like part of me is like, I wonder what I'd see if my life started flashing before my eyes. Like what, what moments would my brain deem important? But at the same time, like, I don't ever want to be in that situation. Holy shit. So at this point, Gills decided that he wasn't going down like this. Like if he was going to die, he was going to fight. So he ripped the duct tape off his eyes and jumped up. Yes, Gills, fight. And also, can you just imagine how much it would hurt to rip duct tape off your fucking eyes? Now this masked man is waving the gun at Gills, telling him to get back on the ground. And you know what Gills did? He lunged for the fucking gun. I'm gonna repeat that. He lunged for the gun. This masked man had already zapped him with a stun gun countless times and is pointing a gun at him. And Gills is just like, nah, not today, bitch. And reaches for the gun. Like, he could have been shot, but still he reached for the gun. He grabs the barrel of the gun and makes a shocking discovery. The gun was fake. As soon as he touched it, he realized it was plastic. Now, Gil said he wasn't scared at this point. He was pissed. So he's gripping the end of this plastic-ass gun. He's trying to crush it, break it, anything. And the attacker won't let go of the gun, so they're fighting for it. So then Gil sees a pair of handcuffs on the floor. So he let go of the gun. He picked up the handcuffs and wrapped them around his knuckles to use as a weapon. Which I'm like, okay, Gills, I see you. You're scrappy. He realized that the man was still wearing the hockey mask and cuffs wouldn't do anything to that. So he chucked him into a corner. That way the attacker couldn't get to him. So now the two men are just wrestling. They're grappling. They're fighting for the death. You know, at one point, the masked man headbutted Gills, which he said hurt like a fucking bitch with the mask on. I mean, I'm sure it did. The attacker was saying things like, since you're not cooperating, this is how it has to be. You know, like it's his fucking fault. And they're fighting and this dude just keeps punching Gills in the head. Like he's just getting punched in the side of his head. Meanwhile, he's punching the dude in the chest because of the mask. Um, He's trying to pull the mask off, but he couldn't get to it. He's trying to remember details of this attacker's face, but he said everything was happening so fast he wasn't really getting anything. And then while they're fighting, Gil said he felt something around the attacker's waist, like a pouch, and he realized that the attacker probably had a knife. And this is when Gil's got scared again. I mean, yeah, the gun was fake, but the knife's probably not fake. And Gil's like, I gotta get out of here. I'm gonna fucking die, which I already love Gil's, just this whole thing. But holy shit, I don't want to be in a situation right now. So he realizes that that garage door is still open because, you know, Sheena said she'd leave it open for him to get in and nobody ever closed it. So Gil's is like, okay, while he's still fighting this masked man, he's like, I got to get out that door. So he let the man just keep attacking him, just keep punching him and stuff as he was inching closer and closer to the door. And when he got close enough, 
Gills lunged for the door, but his attacker grabbed him. But guess what, guys? All the attacker had was the jacket. The jacket he almost didn't put on. So Gills wiggled out of the jacket and rolled under the garage door. Yes, free at last, free at last. Now he gets outside and he realizes he can't even stand up. All his muscles are weak. His arms and legs won't work. So he's like, oh, well, I'm going to start crawling. So he's crawling across this gravel driveway. I mean, you figure he's been punched, he's been zapped, and he's crawling across this gravel driveway. This is so cinematic. They should turn this into a movie. Now, Gills said he just had to make it to his truck. That was the goal. Unfortunately, the masked man followed him out of the garage. This man walks calmly behind Gills, grabs his legs, and drags him back toward the garage, caveman style. What the absolute fuck? So Gills is trying to fight this off. You know, he's grabbing at the gravel. He grabbed a rock to hit the attacker, but the attacker sort of shook it loose because his muscles are all weak, which he later discovered was from the stun gun because every time it shocked him, it was sending over, it was sending about 800,000 volts through his body. Wow. So when the attacker gets him all the way back to the garage door, He realizes he needs to open it a bit more for them to both get under, so he let go of Gills to open the garage door, and Gills realized this was his final chance. So this time, Gills managed to get to his feet, and he took off down the alley. Now this alley ran into a walking path, and would you believe there was a couple out for an evening stroll? Can you imagine? You're just out, you and your honey are out walking, looking at the stars or something, and suddenly this, like, bloody, so probably sweaty, I don't know, disheveled man just appears. I'd be like, uh, what? And Gills tells them, you know, a man is attacking me, call the police, help me, and then he sort of collapses. Again, I I wouldn't know what to do if I was this couple. They kind of didn't. They just kind of stood there for a second, and then the masked man came around the corner just strolled casually toward them with his fucking nightmare fuel mask. And he walks toward him and is like, oh, hey, friend. Like him and Gills are just playing a game or something? Fuck you. So, I mean, yeah, the couple is acting the way all of us would be. They're just kind of staring. And then the woman ran away. She's like, nope. I mean, nope the fuck out. The man stuck around for a little bit, but then he ran off too. Now I see in this moment, I want to kind of be mad at them and be like, dude, help him. But at the same time, I'm like, no, no, that's smart. Helping people is how you get murdered. Because, I mean, for all they knew, these two guys were working together to lure them in. And don't worry, this couple did call the police, and they do end up testifying later. And later on, they did say, you know, they thought maybe they were trying to lure them and attack them. They weren't sure what was going on. So that's fair. I mean, protect yourself, right? So... Well, after he said, oh, hey, friend, or whatever, the masked man had retreated back into the garage. So poor Gills is just out there on this path alone. And he said he thought about going down the street and trying to flag down a car, but he decided all he wanted to do was get in his truck and go home. Now, to get back to his truck, he has to go past the garage. Nope. No, thank you. I I would not go near that garage again. But that's what Gills wanted to do. 
So he's very quietly, slowly making his way back toward the garage. He has no idea if this masked man is going to jump back out and get him or something. Well, he doesn't. He can see the garage door is still open a little. And he said he could see the attacker like pacing back and forth in the garage. Kills also said he saw his jacket lying there. And for a brief moment, he was like, oh, I could reach in there and grab it. Luckily, he didn't, but it's like, no, no, you don't need your jacket that bad, Kills. Buy a new one. Um, so he, he makes it to his car. And of course, he knows he's got to unlock it, jump in, lock it before this guy comes out. And he does. And nobody comes out. So Gills cranked that engine and he floored it the fuck out of there. And then he said once he was a little ways away from the garage, all that adrenaline wore off and he had to pull over. He was in so much pain. He was exhausted. He dry heaved outside the truck. He found a bottle of water in the truck, drank most of it, poured the rest of it on his face. Like, I mean, he's been through it. He has every right. And then he went home looked in the mirror, and he said he had this huge welt just forming on the side of his face, and his clothes were all torn. So he uses a bag of frozen vegetables as an ice pack, because, you know, single men don't own ice packs, and he went to sleep. So he woke up a little later, and he goes on plenty of fish because he thinks, the police might want this info. But guess what? Sheena was gone. All their messages were gone. Her entire dating profile. Gone. Now, Gills didn't call the police the next day. He said he was ashamed and embarrassed. Again, like I said, online dating wasn't super popular yet. He didn't want to get, you know, judged for it. And he just felt stupid, you know. He thought he was going to meet this gorgeous, sexy woman, and instead it was a man who attacked him in a garage. I mean, he has nothing to be ashamed of, but I can see why in his mind he felt a little ashamed. So <laughs> that next day, he still went to work. Because, you know, work, 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 right? That was a horrible... I wanted to do work, 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 like uh, Rihanna. And instead I was just like, work, work, work. That was terrible. Sorry. So he goes to work and he said he thought that he, you know, his injuries weren't obvious. Like, dude, I'm sure they were. Because the swelling had gone down on his face, but it was still mostly bruised. And he had this, and he had this bad pain in his ribs. So he was like cringing every time he moved. He just tried to do it not in front of people. You know, I'm sure he just looked like he had almost died. And honestly, I probably wouldn't have gone to work. I would have stayed in bed. But people definitely noticed. A co-worker was like, hey, what happened to you? But Gills didn't hear him. So like I said, they all noticed because I mean, I think I would notice if one of my co-workers showed up and half their face was bruised and they looked like they had almost died. So, a few days after the attack, he did actually tell his ex-wife about it on the phone. And she was like, yeah, you need to call the cops. He told them that he told her that he would. He did not. On October 5th, so two days after the attack, Gills met another friend for drinks. And as soon as she saw him, she saw his face and was like, uh, what happened to you? So he told her and she also was like, yeah, you need to call the cops. And again, he said he would, but he later changed his mind. So over the next few days, the bruises on his face just got worse, you know, as bruises do. And eventually, his face was a delightful mix of black and yellow. So, of course, he has to tell his coworkers what happened because he can't hide it anymore. And 
Not that he was really hiding it before. He's just delusional. And all his coworkers were like, um, yeah, you need to call the police. That was a crime. He said he would, but again, he didn't. I feel so bad for him at this point. I mean, first, he went through this horrific attack in this garage, and now he's feeling all this shame about it. I, I just want to hug him and be like, you, you don't need to be embarrassed, baby. You didn't do anything wrong, okay? You were using a dating website and some psycho lured you to a garage. Not your fault. So the weekend after his attack was Thanksgiving, because Canadian Thanksgiving is in October, Americans. So he went home to see his family, and of course, they all saw his fucking face too, so they were like, uh, what happened? And of course, he tells them, and they're all like, yeah, you need to call the cops. And he told them he would when he got back to Edmonton, but he didn't. And poor Gills, at this point, he's having such horrendous PTSD. He said he had nightmares. He couldn't stop thinking about the attack. He thought he saw the masked man everywhere he went. Felt like he was being followed. Like, this, this poor guy. It was not just that garage, okay? He's being victimized for weeks later. And then on the morning of November 2nd, 2008, so Almost a full month after his attack, Gills gets a call from one of his friends, and the friend was like, hey, you need to turn on your computer right away. There was an article he needed to read. The article was about a filmmaker with a hockey mask. There was a picture of the mask. It was the mask that Gills' attacker had worn. The masked man's name was Mark Twitchell, and he was being held for murdering Johnny Altinger. The article also said the police were looking for another man. They believed that another man had been attacked first. Gills was the first target. Gills was supposed to be dead. Gills said his legs went re weak reading the article. The picture of the mask sent shivers down his spine. And of course, he had to talk to the police now. So now, let's take a little look at our other victim, Johnny Altinger. Johnny Altinger was born April 28, 1970, in Edmonton. He had a brother named Gary. His mom's name was Elfrid, and she seems like the sweetest woman ever. I'm gonna post a picture of her. I just want to envelop her in the world's biggest hug and never let go, and I'm not a hugger. She said Johnny was pure joy as a child. She described him as a caring, quiet, and trusting man. He really didn't care much about what other people thought of him. And if you ask me, that's the best way to live. Don't give a shit about other people's opinions about you. Now, when Johnny was a teenager, the family left Edmonton and moved outside of Vancouver. And Johnny was super into cars, loved them. Most of the cars he owned over the years were German, so Volkswagen, Mercedes, Audi, and he would buy them when they were slightly older and they'd like work on them. He liked spending his time polishing the outside of the cars, cleaning the inside, you know, just super into his cars. He was also into gaming and he was quite the internet pioneer. So in the 80s, he would post on virtual bulletin boards. I'm gonna I'm keep it real with you guys, I wasn't around in the 80s and I honestly did not know that the internet was around in the 80s, like for consumers. So good for Johnny for being an internet pioneer. And he would also play online fighting games, which I mean, people still do that. That's pretty cool. 
And he had an online name too, which I mean, you gotta have an online name if you're gaming. Mine's Game Master, FYI. Johnny's online name was Magnus, and whenever he won a fight in the games, others would shout, Hail Magnus. I think that's pretty cool. If anybody ever wants to hail me, I would not be upset. Johnny was a really good son, too. When his dad died, he moved in with his mom to help take care of her. Oh, that's sweet. But he did decide to go back to his hometown of Edmonton in 1998. When he moved back, he was planning on becoming a helicopter pilot, which I think sounds cool as fuck. Unfortunately, helicopter pilot class is apparently very expensive, so Johnny kind of gave up on that idea, and instead he took a job doing quality control, and he worked the overnight shift from 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. Now, Johnny had a best friend. His name was Dale Smith, and we love Dale. Dale's going to be very important in part two. Just know for now that we love Dale, okay? He's the best. It, Johnny and Dale often played paintball on the weekends, which, like, I want to play paintball. It sounds like fun. So even though he's got all this fun stuff going on, Johnny's still interested in romance. Like Gills, Johnny did online dating. And like Gills, he used plenty of fish. Now, unlike Gills, Johnny was not embarrassed about his online dating. Because remember, I don't give a fuck what other people think about him. He had two good work friends. Willie Stanick and Hans Wilhelm Adam, and he would often tell them stories of his dating exploits, you know, with these women he would meet. And I already told you that Johnny loved cars. Well, he also loved motorcycles. He owned two of them, and he took care of them just like the cars. He covered them up if they weren't going to be ridden for a while. He could go on rides for hours. He once posted a picture of his motorcycles on Facebook with the caption, My Children. <laughs> Which, I mean, how's that any different than people saying, I'm a dog mom. So, you know, good on you, Johnny. Live your life. And his love of motorcycles even convinced Dale to buy a motorcycle, and Johnny was going to teach him how to ride, and then they could go on BFF motorcycle trips together. Sounds like fun. My best friend and I should do that. Thursday, October 9th, 2008 was Johnny's last day at work before a long weekend. Thanksgiving was that Monday, so he had a few extra days off. And over the long break, he was going to spend one day teaching Dale to ride his motorcycle. But Johnny's nights were free, and he was hoping to make plans, if you know what I mean. So that night, Hans did talk to Johnny at work when they were on break. Hans left at 11, and he realized months later that he forgot to say goodbye to Johnny before he left, and it always bothered him because he never saw Johnny again. Which, like, that's so sad. I always hate that in these cases because, I mean, how many times do you leave work and you don't say bye to everybody? And then it's like, what if, what if something happens? And then later you're like, I never told him bye. It's so sad. So the morning of October 10th, Johnny was on plenty of fish, and he'd been flirting with this attractive brunette named Jen. Now, if you're keeping track, this is exactly one week since Gills met Sheena in that garage. So Johnny's talking to this Jin woman online. Now, Jin is not looking for a relationship like Sheena was. Jin is looking for an intimate encounter. Now, if Jin were real, I'd say, get it, girl. But spoiler alert, Jin is also not real. So Johnny tells Jin 
that he's got the whole weekend off plus two extra days because of the holiday. Let me translate that for you if you're not hip on, hip on dating speak. Johnny was basically telling her he had a lot of time to give her a lot of intimate encounters. And Jen understood what he was saying, and she asked if he wanted to come over. And this is the exact message she sent to Johnny. Although this sounds exciting, I have to make sure you're not some kind of weirdo, and so far you seem fairly well put together, but anyone can lie online, right? So I have an idea for how both of us can be made comfortable with the situation. And by both of us, of course I mean me, lol. I bought, I bought this, well, let's just call it a handyman special. I'm all about resale. And the back gate is a little screwed up, so I locked it off, and everyone's just been entering through the garage. So it works out okay. When you see it, you'll know what I mean. If you do this, I can direct you to the house from the alley without giving away the street address and see you before I let you in. Maybe this is paranoid on my part, but I have to look after myself. My first instincts about people are never wrong, and I know to trust them. I want to play very much, but I have to be cautious, as I'm sure you can understand. If you're okay with this, let me know. If not, we'll have to miss each other. On a lighter note, though, if you if we really gel, you said you had four days off. How long can I keep you if I choose? Maybe you should pack for a few days. LOL. Jen. And again, I say, if she was really concerned about safety, or you being a weirdo, she wouldn't have invited you to her house. But like Gills, Johnny's just excited about a potential date and, you know, intimate encounters. So he's ignoring the red flags. So Johnny agreed, and Jen sent Johnny some directions. And big fucking shock, guys. These directions were weird as hell. Jen told him to park in the only driveway that looks like a forest. I don't know about you, but this garage alley shit sounds very familiar. And I'm very scared for Johnny right now. So Jen told Johnny to close the garage door after he came in. Sounds like she's just being smart, but we all know it's because Gills got away through the door just a week ago. Now, Jen warned Johnny that the garage might look a little weird. She said a friend was using part of the garage as a workshop, so where her car is would be blanketed off. Jen told Johnny she'd be home around 7. So around 5.30... Willie, Johnny's friend from work, messaged him on MSN Messenger, which boy, if that didn't just date this case for sure. Anyway, Willie messaged Johnny, any plans for the weekend? And Johnny sent Willie a link to Jen's profile and said he was meeting her at 7. Then he told Willie about the weird directions. Willie told Johnny when he got there, he should text him the address. See, these are the kind of friends you need who are like, yeah, let me know where you are because this sounds weird. And before he left, Johnny also sent Jen's directions to Willie. He's like, yeah, and here's the directions, because you never know. So Johnny left about around six. He was not going to be late. He's excited about this weekend of fun. He even took a little bag, you know, packed for a few days. Good for you, Johnny. Get it? So not with this one. Don't go. So when he left, he called Dale, and he told him about his date, told him about the strange directions, and Dale was like, yeah, no, this sounds weird. When you get there, you call me and you give me the address. Like, Johnny has some of the best friends. I'm like, yes, yes. Tell Dale and Willie where you are because they know this seems kind of sketch. So Johnny got there early. He pulled up to the garage about 6.30 and the lights were on and he saw a man in the garage as he parked. Then the lights suddenly turned off as he walked in. 
So Johnny barely comes in the garage and he's like, hello? Because, I mean, he's not stupid. He saw someone and the lights just turned off. So finally, a man comes from the other side of the garage. This man introduces himself as Mark and he tells him that he's a filmmaker and he's dressing the garage up like a movie set. Then he's showing Johnny the whole set and different props and then he's like, oh, Jen's not home yet. Probably another 10 minutes. Which, okay, I mean, Johnny was a little early, so, you know, could kind of make sense. And Johnny's like, cool, cool, I'll come back. So he left. And Johnny did come back. And when he came back this time, this Mark guy was still in the garage, talking on the phone. Spoiler alert, he's not talking on the phone, he's fucking pretending. Mark tells Johnny that he was just on the phone with Jen, and she's going to be another half hour. Does he want to stick around? And Johnny was like, nah. I'll leave. And this is the part of the story where I'm just like, yes, you got away. Do not go back. Forget Jen. But Johnny didn't do that. So while he's driving away, he calls Dale and he's telling him, you know, I didn't meet her. There was a guy in the garage. And Dale was like, what? But Johnny couldn't give him too many details because he was almost out of minutes on his cell phone, which, oh Lord, do you remember the days when you could run out of minutes on your phone? This wasn't even that long ago, but some of the stuff in this case feels ancient. So Johnny gets home and he got on plenty of fish and he messaged Jen and she replied 20 minutes later and was like apologetic, was like, oh, I'm home now. You could come back or, you know, we can reschedule. Well, you know, Johnny's feeling horny, doesn't want to waste his weekend. So he's like, I'm going back. So he sent Dale an email that said, I'm heading over again. <laughs> so Johnny arrives at the garage a third time. Mark was standing in the middle of the garage. Johnny said to him, I guess I'm just a glutton for punishment. And that's where I'm going to leave you till next week. I'm sorry, gotta leave you hanging. Next week, we're going to take a look at the killer, his crimes, the trial that puts his ass in jail. Um, yeah, if you want to see pictures of Johnny Gills in that scary ass fucking mask, follow the podcast on Instagram at Have Murder Will Travel. You can find the podcast on Facebook at Have Murder Will Travel Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can always send me a nice email. It's havemurderwilltravel at gmail.com. Tune in next week for the thrilling conclusion. Until then, don't forget to explore the world and stay alive. Bye.